Andy Williams recorded a song back a number of decades ago where he sang, It's the most wonderful time of the year. Remember that? Well, it is. But for many, it's maybe not so wonderful. Secretary Hale was talking a while ago about the fact that during this time of year, a lot of veterans commit suicide. My wife, Sweet Gloria, is involved in a prison ministry, and she finds the same thing true in the prison ministry, that a lot of those folks hurt themselves and try to commit suicide during this time of the year. So it is a wonderful time of year. Thank you, Jesus, for coming. But also, it's a time when a lot of people go into a despondency or a discouragement. Discouragement and loneliness are parts of the holiday package for a lot of people. It may be true for some of you sitting here in this room right now that have reasons to not feel so good during this particular holiday season. So today and next week, I'm going to deal with two subjects, dealing with discouragement today and the problem of loneliness next week. We'll put that alongside all the fun stuff that we enjoy about Christmas at the same time. But today, dealing with discouragement. Have you ever really, really felt discouraged? If not... You're either really young or you have lived a charmed life because most of us at one time or another have dealt with discouragement. When was the last time you felt discouraged? Or are you sitting in this room right now dealing with discouragement today for one reason or another? Well, we'll spend the next half hour or so looking at some biblical ways of dealing with discouragement. An Army lieutenant colonel wanted more than anything to command a battalion in combat. And he was in Iraq, and, uh, but he was too junior to have a battalion in combat. And so when he rotated back to the States, he began doing everything he could to get sent back to Iraq so that he could have a battalion in combat. He felt like that was a plan that would elevate him to stardom within the, within the army structure. And he ruined his family relationship and he made all of his peers mad at him because he worked every mechanism he could to get sent back to Iraq. But sure enough, he was able to get himself sent back to Iraq. But at the same time, there was a, a big gymnasium at one of the big bases in Iraq that was having all kinds of trouble. And the division personnel officer said, the next field grade officer who gets off of that airplane is going to become the gymnasium officer. Guess who the next field grade officer was that got off of that airplane? It was this lieutenant colonel who had tried so hard to get himself a battalion in combat. He became the gymnasium officer instead. Well, 
what do you do when it becomes clear you're not going to be where you wanted to be by a certain time in your life? The plans and dreams that you have for yourself or your kids just will not come true. What do you do? What do you do when that circumstance happens? Do you get mad at the world and live with a chip on your shoulder for the rest of your life? Do you give up and just sort of go through the motions until you die because things just didn't work out as, as you had planned? Or do you get sick and just stay sick for the rest of your life? You've known people that have done that. Just, just get sick. What a way to live, always dying. But some people do that, don't they? Well, we're going to take a look at Nehemiah chapter 4, verses 6 through 14. Nehemiah chapter 4, verses 6 through 14, to look at some of the causes of, of discouragement, four of the causes of discouragement. Then we're going to look at three of the remedies that God says you can go out there and latch on to that help you deal with discouragement in your life. But first of all, a little bit of background. Most of the Jews of Judah, including almost all of the inhabitants of Jerusalem, were defeated, captured, and sent into slavery in Babylon, which is uh, Baghdad now, in about 587 B.C. And uh, they were uh, sent there by the forces of Babylon's king, Nebuchadnezzar. Now, uh, that is about a 900-mile four-month or five-month walk into slavery. And the slide you're looking at now, that shaded area, is the route that they would have taken. They could have walked straight across. It's about 500 miles, but that's across the desert. Some of y'all have been out there in that desert. I have, and that's not a place you want to walk across. Uh, and so they took the long route up. You know, that's a long ways to walk, 900 miles, but at least you had water by, by going that way. And so they went into captivity. Uh, Jeremiah had written, uh, had predicted that this was going to happen. And he began preparing the children of Israel, of Judah for this. And he wrote in the book of Jeremiah and in the book of Lamentations, the predictions and the, the bad stuff about what was going to be happening to them. And you can go back and read that if you want to. But you can read his warnings and sadness in those books, but about 50 years later, after they were captured, Cyrus the Great of Persia defeated Babylon, took it over, and he released about 50,000 of the Jews and let them go back that 900-mile walk back to Jerusalem and to reestablish themselves as a nation. Uh, retracing the 900-mile walk back, they found the city of Jerusalem a wreck, and the temple had been completely destroyed, and so had the walls of the city. Then about 75 years later, Ezra took a bunch of folks back to rebuild the temple, and you can read about that in the book of Ezra in the Old Testament. And then 13 years after that, Nehemiah goes back and takes a bunch of folks with him to rebuild the walls. So that's where we are when we're reading this. 
He rallied God's people and had a pretty fair success rebuilding the walls. In spite of threats from the Samaritan and Arab neighbors, among others, there were a bunch of folks that did not want him to rebuild the walls. And so, uh, and, and many of you have read that account, and you know that there were uh, enemies of the Jews that continued to attack them. The wall was about half finished when the people got discouraged. As we look at this story in our text, we get a better understanding of what causes discouragement and how it is best overcome. Now, it's a, it's a fairly long reading, but it speaks to what we're going to talk about. So starting reading in Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 6. I'm reading from the New International Version, and feel free to follow along. So we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height, for the people worked with all their heart. But when Sanballat, now these are some of the bad guys, when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the people of Ashdod heard that the repairs to Jerusalem walls had gone ahead and the gaps were being closed, they were very angry. They all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. But we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. That's one we're going to come back to. All right? Meanwhile, the people in Judah said, the strength of the laborers is giving out, and there is so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. Also, our enemies said, before they know it or see us, we will be right there among them and will kill them and put an end to the work. Then the Jews who lived near them came and told us ten times over, Wherever you turn, they will attack us. Therefore, I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords, spears, and bows. After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, who is great and awesome, and fight for your families, your sons, and your daughters, your wives, and your homes. All right, so we see four causes of discouragement here, and I'm going to pull those out. We'll look at them briefly, and then we'll talk about the principles for overcoming discouragement. Four causes of discouragement. The first one that we see is the fatigue factor. Fatigue. In verse 10, it says, the strength of the laborers is giving out even the work of the Lord can wear themselves, or the, the, the work of the Lord people can wear themselves out to the point that they are no longer useful. It's an excuse that some people, even I've heard preachers use the excuse, I'd rather burn out for the Lord than rust out for Satan. You ever heard that? Uh, just that gets an excuse for burning the candle on both ends. Well, that's just silly. There's a middle ground where you don't have to do either one. You know, take some time. Don't, don't wear yourself out. For, get some rest. Learn to rest physically and emotionally. Everything is worse when you're tired. So make sure that you schedule your time where you've got the amount of rest that you need to in there. Church members, if the church staff needs a little bit of time for rest and they can't do everything that you want them to do right now, understand that. 
because they, you know, if they can't do it all right now, understand that needs to be done. Ronald Reagan, though, said, he said, I know it said hard work never killed anyone, but I figure why take the chance? <laughs> I like that. So the fatigue factor is one of them. Then the second one is frustration. Verse 10 says, there is so much rubble, just frustration. As a college freshman, my first freshman year, I said that right. I, I had more than one freshman year. <laughs> my, my first freshman year, I was at Hardin-Simmons University in Abilene, Texas. And uh, I went somewhere one day and I came back. I don't remember where I was coming back from. And my room had been trashed, my dorm room. It had been completely torn up. I mean, everything in the room had been taken out of the closet. All my drawers had been dumped out. Everything, I mean, like even my band-aids had been taken out of the box and scattered around. Anything that could be taken out and thrown around, the bed turned upside down, all of it had been completely, totally trashed. And you know who did it? Nobody ever claimed credit, but I know it was those evil people from Hobbs. I was from Roswell. There was a, there's a lot of rivalry between Hobbs and Roswell. And people from Hobbs High School are evil. And our lives sometimes become so cluttered, we see no way of ever getting them straightened out. There was so much rubble. How could I possibly ever clean up that room? It was a horrible, horrible mess. And so we just get discouraged with all of the baggage and the clutter, and we stay discouraged. Maybe it's with our families. We've got so much baggage going on there. And so much clutter in our relationships there. Or maybe we've got a dead-end job that it feels like there's no way that we'll ever get promoted. And we just have to keep on doing the same thing every day, on and on. In this morning's Albuquerque Journal, they've got a story about a guy that every day he reports to work. And he just, some of y'all may have seen it, he just reads through pieces of paper and sticks it in a box that nobody's ever going to read. How would you like to have that job? You know, you just feel that way that nothing good is ever going to happen. Well, that's frustration, and that could lead to discouragement in your life. And then the third one, the third cause of discouragement is failure. Verse 10 says that we cannot build the wall. Past failures and associated guilt make us believe we'll never succeed. I know I'll just fail again. Why should I even try? I have failed so many times. I'm just a, I'm just a goof up. Why do I even try again? I'm just too discouraged. Why should I talk to anybody about Jesus Christ? I've talked to somebody before, maybe I've talked to two people before, and both of them didn't come along. Nobody prayed to receive Christ, so why should I even do it again? I'm a complete failure. 
or I've tried this or that or the other. I've tried being kind. Being kind doesn't work. You know, why should I do that? I've just been a failure. Is your motivation to act short-circuited by past failures? Reflecting on failures in life can be one of the causes of discouragement. It's easy to just spend your time reflecting on stuff that we've done in the past. We need to give that to the Lord, and we'll talk about that some more. And then the fourth one is fear. Verse 14 says, don't be afraid of them. Besides being tired, frustrated, and feeling guilty about failing, the Jewish workers were afraid of their enemies. Fear can bring discouragement, can make you do stupid stuff when you're afraid. It can make you make bad decisions. I remember we were in a horrible battle in Vietnam, and we were trying to get out of the killing zone, and we're on a road, and the enemy was shooting at us, and, and there was one, what we had to do was to run through here while we were shooting and, and get out of a bad place, and there was one fella who was lying face down in the bar ditch with his hands over his head. He was just, there wasn't anything wrong with him. He was just scared, making a stupid decision. He was staying in a bad place because he was just so scared. And, and, and I, you know, I can't put him down because fear makes you do stuff. But that's not good to do that. During the same battle, one of one of my fellow radio operators, I didn't see this happen. He told me about it later on. He was in a, there was a lot of jungle and, and stuff there. And all of a sudden, he was standing here and an enemy soldier came out of the trees. And the two of them were staring at each other. And neither one of them did anything. <laughs> they were just standing there looking at each other. Fear. And both of them turned around and ran away. I, they're probably both still alive, doing fine. I don't know. Fear makes you do things. Makes you keeps you from doing your job. Is the point I make about telling about those two guys. It keeps you from doing what you're what you're assigned to do by whoever's in charge of you and by Almighty God. We have missions that we're to be on, and fear of failure, fear keeps us from doing it. So the four sources of discouragement we see in this passage written almost 2,500 years ago are still relevant today. We sometimes want to just sit down and give up. Are you dealing with a debilitating sense of discouragement this morning? Are you dealing with fatigue, frustration, failure, or fear today? Most of us do at one time or another. Have you ever felt, have you ever felt when you go to sleep at night, Lord, it would be just fine with me if I don't wake up tomorrow. It would be all right. Why don't you just take me on home? Again, if you haven't felt that way, you've lived a charmed life because most of us have dealt with those kind of circumstances at one time or another. So discouraged. But let's read on and see what can be done about that. There is hope. 
This passage provides instruction for dealing with those times. Three principles for overcoming discouragement. The first one of those three principles is reorganize. Verse 13 says, I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords, spears, and bows. In this particular case, notice something. He stationed them by families, motivating them to be vigilant and to do good work. If I have my family standing behind me while I'm doing something in the face of the enemy, I'm going to do it even stronger than I would have if my family were somewhere else safe. The family was there with them. So he reorganized and put the family with them so that they would do the work even more strongly than they would have otherwise. In putting your reorganization together, Look your situation over and see what priorities need to be dealt with first. Put your priorities in order. Then build a plan accordingly. For example, if finances are your frustration, maybe what you need to do is that thing that, uh, oh, the radio finance guy, y'all know who I'm talking about. If, if, what he says is pay off your highest interest item first, probably credit card, pay off your highest interest item first and then apply that money onto the next highest interest item. And so put a plan together where you do that and keep on putting the money on and putting the money on until you got it all paid off. That makes pretty good sense. Or I went to a seminar one time where a guy said this. He said, if you have a tendency to spend on a credit card, to do impulse buying on a credit card, just keep one credit card for emergencies and freeze it in a jar of water. Isn't that good? Put that in your refrigerator and freeze it so that if you ever need to use a credit card, it'll take you some time to dig it out and you won't be using it for impulse buying. Pretty good idea. So reorganize is the first principle. The second principle, remember. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome, according to verse 14. The same Lord wants you to succeed and have joy in your life. But he has a way that he wants it to be done. God has a way. So you talk to him. It involves giving ourselves to him, letting God be in charge, give ourselves to him, and learning his ways and means. So you talk to him. Remember when we talked about prayer last week or the week before? We talked about prayer, and when you're praying, you don't just talk to God, you listen to God. And you take an issue to God, and you say, oh God, I'm so discouraged what do I need to do in this circumstance? What changes do I need to make? I know I need to reorganize. How do I need to reorganize God? And listen to him. And God will say back to you, quit going to the casino. And you'll say, okay, God, not that one. I mean another one. And God will say, no, no, no. Quit going to the casino. Yeah, not that one, God. 
But see, you got to pay attention to what God is telling you because he will nudge you in a direction. And then the next thing that he says is, then do it. Do what God says. Verse 9 says, we prayed to our God and posted a guard. So we prayed, we got instruction, and we did it. We posted a guard. Quit going to the casino. All right? Number three, resist. So we resist. Verse 14 says, fight for your brothers, your sons and daughters, your wives and your homes. Resist the devil and his influences. It's not enough to just do what is good and right. We must do we must not do what is wrong. Every time you don't do what is wrong, you have a victory. Sometimes they're little victories. Sometimes they're big victories. Because if it is your besetting sin, everybody has at least one besetting sin, I believe. You've got one. I've got one. Maybe more. It's none of your business. And... And we've got besetting sins. And every time we have victory over that besetting sin, that is, boy, that's a godly victory. And do you know what victory does? Victory defeats discouragement. Victory makes us that much closer to God, and it defeats devil. And the devil wants us to be discouraged, so it defeats discouragement. So victory Ever over our besetting sin does that, or over any sin, defeats discouragement. When things aren't going just as you had hoped, be a Dora. You don't know what I'm talking about, but I'm fixing to tell you. When I was pastoring, we had some extra money to, that we had to decide what to do with. Uh, I don't believe the church should be a bank. I believe the money has been given for us to use for, for God's good. And so, uh, obviously, you need to keep enough money to, to do contingencies and so on. But, but I think that you need to use money. So, I, I wanted to pave some more of the parking lot. And Dora, an octogenarian in our church, wanted to remodel the nursery area. And so, Dora and I talked about it, but I still wanted to pave the parking lot. And she still wanted to do I said, well, let's go to the business meeting, and both of us make our cases before the church. And she said, okay, pastor. And so we went to the business meeting. I made my case for paving some more of the parking lot. Dora made her case for, for remodeling the, the nursery, and the church voted to pave the parking lot. Did Dora get mad? No, Dora didn't get mad. Dora became the biggest proponent in the church for paving the parking lot. She started talking about, okay, well, how do we do this now? We need, you know, if we raised a little more money, we could do a little bit more over here. And she became this great person in favor of the project that she was not in favor of at first because that's what the church wanted to do. And she went right along with it because that's what, and by the way, after we paved the parking lot, the church just kept on giving and we remodeled the nursery. See, 
Be a Dora. That's part of resisting the devil. Be somebody who is ready to go ahead and do what makes the most sense in the house of the Lord. Satan loves for people to be discouraged. Dora refused to be discouraged because her plan didn't win. She, went, she wanted to go ahead and be what God wanted her to be. God loves us, does not want us to be discouraged and live without joy in our lives. It's a choice we make. God wants us to be happy and joyful in our lives with him. I close by telling you about a fellow I met in Somalia. We were, uh, I was sent to Somalia by the Marines Central Command. Uh, it was back during that Black Hawk Down thing. Uh, I was sent to uh, manage the plan for the uh, retrograde from, from Somalia. And uh, we got down to about three weeks before all of us were out. And uh, our chaplain, our Protestant chaplain, uh, was rotated back to the States. And so we had several Sundays there where we didn't have a Protestant chaplain. So I uh, took it on as a collateral duty. And uh, so I, I conducted services for, for those times. And we had a guy that came to our services. His name was Leonard. Leonard was, uh, he just was one of the most happy people, joyful people I have ever seen in my life. Leonard was from Kenya. He just, he, we, he was allowed to come onto the base to come to our, to our chapel services. And uh, Leonard was uh, about this tall, had a great big smile on his face, and he was a missionary to Somalia from Kenya. Somalia was a Muslim country, it still is. And Christians are killed for being Christians in Somalia. But Leonard was there doing missionary work. And he and I got to visiting after a service one Sunday, or it's actually a Friday. They had the services on Friday there. And, uh, and he said to me, he said, Colonel Long, uh, can you get me any Bibles? And I said, uh, well, I probably can, Leonard. And uh, I said, uh, do you, what, what do you need them for? And he said, well, I have had 56 families receive salvation through Jesus Christ, and I would like to get them Bibles. And I said, well, let me see what I can do. 56 families, folks, that received Christ in Muslim Somalia. And I said, let me see what I can do, Leonard, see if I can get you some Bibles. But I said, they're going to be in English. And, and he said, that doesn't matter. So I went to the Catholic chaplain who was still there. And I said, can you get me some, a case of Bibles that I can give to this guy? And he said, I don't think I can do that. And I said, why not? He said, because if the people get caught with a Bible, they're going to be slaughtered. The whole family will be killed. And so I went back to Leonard the following Friday and I said, Leonard, here's what the chaplain said. And Leonard said, no, 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 you don't understand. I said, besides, they can't even read them. They're in English. And he said, they'll just have it in their hands. He said, the, and these were Leonard's exact words. He said, these people know there are some things worth dying for. Just to have a copy of the Word of God that they couldn't even read 
was worth dying for. You see, joy in the Lord because they recognized the value of Jesus Christ in their lives. So I went back and told the Catholic chaplain, he gave me a case of Bibles and I gave them to Leonard. And Leonard took them away and I, haven't, I have no idea what went on after that. But 56 families led to the Lord by somebody who was committed to Jesus Christ. Resist the devil. Find renewed joy in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, the one who came over 2,000 years ago to bring us salvation. What a shame for him to have done that and for us not to accept it. If you have never prayed to receive Jesus Christ, this same Lord who gave himself for us, he came as that tiny baby, and then he grew up, and he started a ministry 30 years later, and for three solid years, he healed people and taught the great truths in his fabulous word here that people are willing to die just to possess. He taught that truth, and then he was crucified through that painful death that he went through so that you wouldn't have to die for your own sin. He died so that you wouldn't have to. And now will you let that be in vain? No, no, no. Victory in Jesus. Accept Jesus Christ's death as payment for your sin. Invite him into your life. Make him the Lord of your life. Give him fullness in your life. And he can run it a lot better than we can. Would you bow your heads with me, please? If you've never prayed to receive Christ, if you've never invited him into your life, into your heart, you can do that right now at this very moment. You can ask Jesus Christ to become the Lord of your life. And never have to worry about eternal life again. It's a, eternal life is a gift that God gives you through the blood of Jesus Christ who died that terrible death but came back to life three days later so that we might have eternal life through him. Have you given yourself to him? If not, would you do that right now? You can pray a prayer that goes something like this. And it doesn't have to be exactly these words, but the concept needs to be, Dear Jesus, Son of God, I know you died to forgive my sins. I now accept your death as payment for my sin. I ask you to come into my life to be my Lord and Master. I give myself to you. Oh, Jesus, thank you. Thank you for what you've done for me. Have you prayed that prayer? Could you pray that prayer right now? In just a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand. And if you've given your life to Christ just now, or if you want to, or you want to take the next step, I'll invite you to come down to the front. There are counselors here who know exactly what to tell you in taking the next step with Christ. And they're anxious to talk to you about how you can have peace with God through Jesus Christ our Lord. 
Or Christian, maybe it's just time for you to deal with the discouragement in your life by talking to God and giving Him control of your life once again. Whatever it may be, maybe you need to come down and just pray at this altar or stand there and pray and talk to God and recommit your life to Him, whatever it is. Now, would you please stand? Would you stand now and and pray while the music plays about what God wants you to do? And the invitation is open for you to make your commitment to Christ right now. Listen to Jesus. Listen to him speak to your heart. As he speaks to your heart right now, what would he have you do? What would he have you do, Christian? What would he have you do, person who has never prayed to receive Christ? He loves you so. And he wants you to have a full and meaningful life with him. Would you invite him into your life right now? Would you ask him to give you the fullness of life that he has for you? Thank you for your kind attention today. And don't forget, just because the invitation ends doesn't mean that the invitation from Christ is over. Take these thoughts out with you or speak to one of the staff members about the next step that you could take in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Now let's pray and be dismissed. Father in heaven, You are such a mighty and an awesome God. We thank you that you have solutions to life's dilemmas for the difficult circumstances of life, like discouragement, like loneliness, like the other things that come up and and hit us in the face from time to time. You have the great, wonderful answers, and we thank you that you love us so much that you've provided them for us. We pray now that you will be with us as we go from this place. Help us to be faithful to you in all that we do this day and this week. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, amen. God bless you. We'll see you next week.